Hey folks, it's another historic week. Donald Trump is set to become the third president to be impeached in U.S. history. With that, the focus shifts to the trial in the Senate, expected to begin in early January. Meanwhile, the Supreme Court has agreed to hear three cases involving subpoenas for President Trump's tax returns and other financial documents, gearing up for a historic ruling in June, and the continued antics of Rudy Giuliani. I talk about all this and more with Ann Milgram on the Cafe Insider podcast. Each week, we break down the news and make sense of what's happening. Today, we're making a clip from the most recent episode available in the Stay Tuned feed. To listen to our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. Can we talk a little bit about the trial itself? Yes. And the, you know, we're talking about who the lawyers are going to be So yeah, we trial. should talk about what the, pro- what the trial will look like. We don't know yet because that is yet to be worked out. Maybe first we should begin with my former boss, the Senate Minority Leader, has made a written proposal based on what happened in previous times like in during the Clinton trial where there's a schedule that he's proposed where pretrial housekeeping measures would be adopted on Monday, January 6th when we get back from the holidays swearing in of the Chief Justice, Justice Roberts, and Senators the very next day, January 7th. And there'd be a period of preparation and briefs, legal briefs would be submitted. There'd be a lot more things to read. And the House managers be recognized that Thursday, January 9th, followed by trial. He's also proposed that the Chief Justice rule on subpoenas for testimony and has mentioned a number of potential witnesses, including people you and I have talked about a bunch, Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney and John Bolton. And there has yet been no response from Mitch McConnell. What do you make of that proposal? So I want to even go back one step, which is that Mitch McConnell last week, there are a couple of things that happened. On th- last Thursday, he met with Pat Cipollone, the White House counsel, to hash out the terms of the trial, how long it will last, how many hours each side would get to present its case, whether or not there will be witnesses. And then in something I found to be truly extraordinary, I'm going to drop the extraordinary word there. He goes on TV and basically says everything will be lockstep with the president of the United States. That essentially, instead of being a juror, McConnell sees himself as a defense lawyer in some ways for the press. Like he's marshalling this trial and the whole thing is rigged. We'll have to make a decision about the way forward. And everything I do during this, I'm coordinating with White House counsel. There will be no difference between the president's position and our position as to uh, how to handle this uh, to the extent that we can. We don't have the kind of ball control on this that a typical issue, for example, comes over for the House. If, if, If I don't like it, we don't take it up. We have no choice but to take it up, but we'll be working through this process, hopefully in a fairly short period of time, in total coordination uh, with the White House Counsel's Office and the people who are representing the president in the well of the Senate. That, to me, is part of what prompts Schumer, to who's the majority leader in the Senate, but it's part of what prompts Schumer to basically say, wait, wait, wait a minute, let's talk about how this is done. And one of the things that I read when we were preparing was looking back to the Clinton impeachment again, and of course there's not a lot of precedent for all this, but the top Senate Democrat then, Tom Daschle, he did obviously have conversations with the White House, and I wouldn't expect the Senate Majority Leader not to have conversations with the White House. What I don't think that they can and should do is to actually plan it out and game it all out together and, and sort of essentially rig it. I'm going to say something contrarian here, and I agree that in a regular trial, not only do you conform outwardly to all these tenets of impartiality and fairness and everything else, but you also make sure that that's true. I think it was it's terrible and bad for a number of reasons for... 
Mitch McConnell to have said what he said and to act the way he seems to be wanting to act. On the other hand, it is not as crazy as it sounds because I guarantee you Tom Daschle's mind was made up. I guarantee you Tom Daschle, within his office, because the Constitution allows it, was trying to figure out every way to prevent the conviction and removal of the President of the United States, even though he's supposed to be the juror and, and perhaps the top juror. But he had enough self-respect. And enough respect for the institution. Yeah, I mean, maybe this sounds weird because it sounds like you're being, you're being two-faced. But these are, look, there are, I don't remember how many left, but at one point there were six senators who are running to actually remove Trump from office by the ballot box. No one there is impartial. People have been making a point, and I agree with the point, that on something as somber as this, in an ideal world, I would love to, I would hope and love to, to live in a country where senators would put aside their political point of view and soberly deliberate over the potential misconduct of a sitting president of their own party or the opposing party and suspend what's good for them politically, suspend what's good for their party politically. But I don't know of those people sitting in the Senate right now. And, you know, it's it just another reason why I keep drawing the distinction between regular criminal trials and this event. But I think it is, it is the height of cynicism to blatantly say we're doing what the president wants. Lindsey Graham adopted the following language. I think he said, I'm not an impartial juror. He literally has said he's not an impartial juror, even though, as, as I've said, every senator has to take a specific oath, um, in addition to the one they take upon assuming office, of impartiality in connection with the trial. But they're all on record, for or against. I want to quibble with one thing, yeah. though. And just to just to go back for one second on Lindsey Graham, he said, quote, I think as an American, the best thing we can do is deep six this thing. Take the record that was prepared in the House and base an impeachment vote on if they get enough votes. Use that same record to decide guilty or innocent, not call a bunch of people. And so he's basically saying, let's deep six it. Let's get rid of it. Here's where I think the real problem comes up in this case, which, again, we're presuming the president gets indicted, but I think that's a fair presumption. Here, what the president has done is he he is in control of the members of the executive branch, largely, who have refused to testify. He is in control of the evidence in the executive branch, the documents, the emails, the messages that went back and forth related. And he made a decision categorically to deny any access to that. And so as part of the House investigation, this was not a full and complete investigation. We should talk a little bit about the failure of the House to subpoena witnesses and documents, which I think I remain convinced was a mistake and will cause issues potentially in the Senate trial. But putting that aside, the president made clear that he would not comply unless required by a court and that he would litigate as long as he possibly could to delay this. And so I think the difference here with having pre-decided it is also that one of the president's main arguments, which again is completely wrong. He had this argument, not just that he is full immunity, but also this argument that the impeachment process was not legitimate, that the Democrats were politically motivated, which by the way, impeachment is a political act. But it was it was this sort of absurd argument that the president gets to decide whether or not he complies with this or not. That argument to me has to fail in the Senate because the Republicans are in control and he should be required, in my view, to to make those witnesses available and present documents. So the problem with this sort of closed-door deal between McConnell and Cipollone is this, there will be no additional evidence. It's going to be on the record that we have intentionally limited, even though all of it was within our control. It feels so pre-baked well, in a not, way that's it's not, not clear fair. to me. I mean, I think there's an internal struggle there. The president, who loves drama and theater, Seems to want, I mean, I think he's lying when he says he's thinking about coming and testify. That's just complete BS. It's like, it's just <laughs> I agree, ridiculous. he's not just coming. Yeah. Knock it off already. Yeah. I don't think he's lying when he says he thinks that a, that a longer trial might be good for him if he's allowed to get witnesses like Hunter Biden and make a circus of the whole thing. 
And Mitch McConnell, I think more correctly, as a matter of strategy, wants a shorter trial, perhaps no witnesses at all. That's totally right as a matter of Republican strategy. I agree with you. It's the easiest way for them to get this completed. And so, you know, in part, McConnell is not in lockstep with what the president wants because he's trying to convince him for his own, you know, good that you don't want to have witnesses. Because I think it is impossible to compel witnesses that the president thinks would help him, like Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, whatever. It becomes really, really difficult then to say no John Bolton, et cetera. And it also throws the the Senate into an even more circus-like atmosphere. I will say one thing with respect to what the Democrats should want. They should want witnesses. To the extent this becomes sort of a legal argument, like we saw in the House Judiciary Committee when you had only legal scholars testify or the members debating, what is compelling and what moves the public mind is seeing real flesh and blood human beings who worked in the government, who and saw things facts. like yes, agreed. like Fiona Hill and Yovanovitch and Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. That's what I think captures the attention of the public and brings public sentiment to the side of, of the people in favor of impeachment. Because these are people who have really no dog in the fight. They're doing it against personal interest and, and at risk of reputational harm and maybe occupational harm. You want the story to get told and the narrative to come out. If it's a bunch of senators and lawyers and house managers sort of talking, jerking around, it's just not that compelling. And so if the Democrats, if witnesses are good for the Democrats, then I guess logic tells you not great for the Republicans. So I don't know that we'll see any witnesses. Right. And and of course, if there are witnesses, both sides should be able to call witnesses. I mean, the Democratic manager should be able to call witnesses to prove the case. Again, they bear the burden of proof. And it feels to me that there's a fundamental fairness issue here with the idea, and I'm just going to put it really bluntly, of the president being able to obstruct Congress. And again, yes, there's lawful arguments about executive privilege, but I don't think I think that this categorical refusal to provide witnesses and evidence goes beyond what is a legitimate invocation of executive privilege. So the president basically blocks all legitimate inquiry of his administration, then goes on to have a Senate proceeding only based on the evidence that the House Democrats were able to obtain, which is, in my view, considerable, but still limited. And it's not a full and accurate picture of what happened. And the Senate essentially rubber stamps the president's ability to do this, to basically not provide this information and to get away with it in some ways. And so it it feels to me deeply unfair as a question of where we should be in our democracy. And I want to ask you one other question, which is the following. If you could plan your own political corruption trial, like the president is apparently doing, what would it be like? (laughs) Would you have music? Would you play Bruce Springsteen? Would you have cocktails? Would it be somber? I mean, there is something of thinking about like you're sitting in a room and you get to say, well, here are the people, here's how I would like my political corruption trial to go. You know, would you have let any of your defendants in their trial? the, The problem is this. The problem is that this president, who is now a putative defendant at a future trial or will be, feels no remorse, does not concede anything, never apologizes for a thing. And remember, Bill Clinton apologized. And when you do bad stuff... It happens in relationships. It happens at work. You know, maybe you screw up at work and there's a discussion where the boss says, well, we're thinking about letting you go. So look, I mean, it's just common sense and how human beings interact. And you say, well, I, I understand that I screwed that thing up, but give me another chance. I didn't mean it. I'll do better. Here's all the reasons why you can trust me going forward. And, and it's my bad and I apologize and it will never happen again. And then a the boss might say, okay, we're going to give you another chance. The problem is you do something bad. Just think about this in, in total in, in, a, in a work context that happens every day in every business in the country. And the person does something bad, took an expense that they shouldn't have taken 
you know, or, or dressed down or whatever the bad thing is that they did. And the manager and supervisor is saying like, you know, you did this thing. It's a big problem. And the person just denies it and says, no, 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 no. Or says, exp- I don't care. I, I says, I don't care. That person's getting fired that right. day. Yes. So it just goes to your question of how you organize the trial. You could organize it around the principle that, you know what, if I had to do it over again, and you could even make it sort of almost, as the president might do, half-assed, right? Not a full-throated apology. But even if you said something like, you know what, I didn't mean anything by it. I do care about corruption. I could have phrased it better. Any one of a million ways, it's sort of in, the, in between full yeah. contrition yep. and brazenness. And then people might say, you know, okay, you, you bring more people over to your side. And then you organize your trial around that principle, that you at least have that on the record. And everyone is arguing about overreach of the Democrats. It seems like less overreach when you have these people claiming he didn't do what he did. And then it's all great and wonderful and perfect. And just read the transcript. It's just, it's so deeply BS that it causes people concern. I think, I think the view on impeachment would be much more favorable to the president and Republicans, I think, if there was a bit more concession about oh, something. I, I agree. And I understand what the president, the president's like a, is, a, as, as, as I think, a lot he of He always plays offense. Issues. Yes. It's also, it's also a political tactic of you always play offense and not defense. And it's, I've seen it with other political officials and the president is sort of an extraordinary example of like 100% offense. He will never, ever play defense. I mean, think of the times in your own life that you forgive people because they they apologize. Always. We, we have <laughs> right. this great conversation with our son, which is when you say sorry, you just say sorry. There's no sorry, but it's just a, you know, there are times where you just have to say I'm sorry and it goes away. Whereas when you sort of argue it, I think about this, the whole Donald Trump thing, I think sometimes with our, about with our son too, because it's, you know, Congress has this legitimate authority and Donald Trump has just said, no, thanks. I just choose not to obey it. And I think all the time, like what would happen if your kid did that? You know, social structures only work when there are rules. And, you know, we talk about the rule of law a lot, but in our own lives, you can see that... There's social norms. Yes, and you opt into that as part of a community and part of a society. I do think part... I will say, yeah, I'm angry a bunch at what I'm seeing in the country. Part of my anger is directly attributable to the complete lack of concession to common sense on anything at all. It's like, you know what? People do screw up. You know, this idea that the president of the United States, and we're getting off a little bit on a tangent, attacks the press when a press outlet who every day reports correctly a thousand things every day and then makes an error and then within two hours corrects the error, apologizes for it, yeah. if appropriate, disciplines the person, changes the practice. And he says, well, that makes them the enemy of the people and the worst people on earth. And he weaponizes it and, and, and freaks out about it and gets all of his supporters to freak out about it when he commits errors and lies on a daily basis never concedes anything ever. That is a source of anger for a lot of people, especially in connection with this impeachment. Yeah, I'll tell you, I was playing a a game the other day with our little guy, and not to have too many kids' stories, but there is something really important when you raise a child about how do you instill in them, tell the truth, play fair, there are rules, we follow the rule. You know, it's, it's a critical thing to make our children members of the society and to opt into the norms. And you know, I was thinking, like, it can't be that half the country tells their kids, cheat when you play, <laughs> lie about what happened. Oh, I didn't just move that pawn or, you know, whatever it is. It can't be that that's what people really believe. I don't I don't believe that deep down. So I think there's a level of politics taking over better judgment that is troubling. And I just want to read the the Clinton quote because I found it really powerful when I read it. In Politico last week, Kyle Cheney wrote, 
After the House Judiciary Committee voted to approve articles of impeachment, the president strode to a White House microphone, declared, quote, profound remorse for his actions and begged forgiveness. Quote, what I want the American people to know, what I want the Congress to know, is that I am profoundly sorry for all I have done wrong in words and deeds. And that was President Clinton. And so to your point, that's a pretty powerful statement made by Clinton in 1998 before the trial began. And it probably, separate apart from being the right thing to do to apologize when you've done something wrong, it probably moved the numbers in his favor. People are like, you know what? Okay, at least you get it. Look, that's how defendants in real cases at sentencing, I mean, it happens every day. You did the bad thing, you get convicted of the bad thing, you stand up in front of the judge who's just another human being too. And the difference between five years and eight years or the difference between two years and probation is often, it often turns on on what? Literally, the degree of contrition remorse. and remorse and understanding of responsibility that that person expresses. And literally, the amount of freedom you get taken away from you depends on that. And you're conveying that. And it's a simple human principle that the president is incapable of appreciating and succumbing to. And because of that, because he's the emperor, all of his supporters have to go along with it too. Also trashing their own credibility. And I think ultimately hurting the president of the United States. We've just been interrupted by breaking news by our crack producer. Apparently, Mitch McConnell has just announced that he's rejecting calls for I hope you've enjoyed this sample of the Cafe Insider podcast. To listen to the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. And if you'd like to give Insider as a gift, now you can. Head to cafe.com slash gift. To the many of you who have chosen to join the Insider community, thank you for supporting our work. 